Hi, I'm Colin. And I'm Megan. And this is Pet Sitter Sitter Confessional. Confessional. An open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter. Brought to you by Time to Pet. We tend to talk an awful lot about growing our businesses and starting our businesses. Not a lot of us think about or even discuss persisting in the industry. We don't really tend to wrap our minds around what it would be like to be a pet sitter for over 20 years and even how we would go about ensuring setting strong foundations in our business right now to get us to that point. So today, we wanted to bring on Jay Pattis, owner of Pampered Pet Sitting for over 20 years. Jay brings with him a vast amount of history and experience to the conversation. Jay talks about his seven P's to success in business and why understanding and knowing your numbers in your business is so critically important to the foundation and longevity of your business. This conversation with Jay was extremely encouraging and grounding to me to understand that there are simple things that we do every single day. They're not overly complicated. They're not big, grand gestures. It's focusing on the fundamentals, focusing on the basics every single day. So let's get started. My name is Jay Pattis. I'm with Pampered Pet Sitting and Cats at Home Pet Sitting. I live in Warrensburg, Missouri with my wife, Jill. Uh, We've been married 40 years and our five Cornish Rex cats. Uh, Warrensburg, Missouri is about 50 miles southeast of Kansas City. So it's about an hour away from Midtown, Kansas City. And we're about 30 miles or so from the very east part in the Kansas City metro outskirts. And I might add, uh, the closest person we've ever done an interview with, you're basically just down the road from where Megan and I are. So it's a real pleasure to have you on uh, and and pick your brain about being in the pet care industry for as long as you have been. So thank you so much for coming on today. Sure. So what got you started in pet care? You know, we go back away. So 24 years ago in 96, um, our house was getting to be a zoo. It's the same house we still live in here in Warrensburg. Um, My wife was uh, breeding cockatiel birds, and we had several cages all over the place. And we also had cats, and she wanted dogs, and she wanted to breed parrots. (laughs) I think you're getting the drift. She was not satisfied with just what we had. So I had to look for something that would satisfy her urge and my urge to for uh, taking care of pets. But we couldn't have them all in our little home. And so I uh, one day was in a bookstore and uh, I saw a book that said Pet Sitting for Profit by Patty Moran. Mm-hmm. who was the founder and, and president of Pet Sitters International at the time. Um, and so I got that book and I read it and realized, hey, this is probably the right road to go. We can be pet sitters who really can be like grandparents. We can come in the home, love up the pets, take care of them, and leave. <laughs> and then when the owners get back, the pet parents get back, We don't no longer have any other responsibilities with them and get paid. So this sounds like our secret. So I ended up calling Patty 
and got to become pretty good friends with her and talk to her and got the ins and outs of pet sitting. And then the following spring, we pretty much got everything set up with our insurance and bonding, figured out we would take one of we got rid of our uh, breeding pair of cockatiels, sold off all our other cockatiel birds, convinced Jill that there was no need to uh, look at breeding any other types of pets, and we would just stay put with the type of cats we have, no other dogs, and that we would do this. And we got, and we started on May 1st of uh, 1997, and right away we got clients. So there was already a pimped up demand. So that's how we got going. And we're still doing it 23 years later. To put that in a little bit of context, I was doing some research and I found that 1997 was the same year that um, Pet Sitters International actually got the definition of pet sitting included in a dictionary. And so right. it's been quite the change and quite the, quite the time since then. Well, Patty was the one would almost be considered a pioneer as a pet sitter. She started in the 80s in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Mm. And, um, you know, she she couldn't even get an insurance company to give her insurance or do anything. So she ended up becoming part of NAPS, National Association of Professional Pet Sitters, in 89, I think. And then she broke off from them and started Pet Sitters International in 1994. And so we decided to go with them, and we've been members ever since. Wow. Now, at the time when you made that decision to go into pet sitting, you were coming out of the world of finances after, after several years. What role does, the back, does your background in finances play in how you operate your business? You know, I think it's the key role. I think it's the huge factor in our long-term success. Um, I think it became our competitive edge uh, because of my knowledge of finance and accounting. The first few years while we were growing, we weren't profitable at all, but both Jill and I still had full-time jobs, but we were expending money. So my knowledge of finance and accounting led me to more effectively manage our expenses. And then it also allowed me to be able to use credit to have the funds for opportunities to grow and to get resources that we needed. And over the years, I've always kept lots of lines of extra credit in case I would need them. And they became handy at times over the years. Because of my knowledge of credit, we had really good credit scores. And because of my knowledge of accounting, we were able to be concerned about our profits and keeping our expenses in line. So I honestly feel my knowledge of finance was our competitive ed because we were no better than anybody else in actually doing the dogs and cats and other pets, but nobody else around had that background as well. Really having that firm foundation set uh, allowed you to, to do all those things that you were wanting to do and do it with surety and security so, you know, 23 years later, you have that foundation that you've built upon ever since. It's, you know, we also were pretty much had our finances together before we started and had knowledge of them. So that gave us an advantage over people who would be doing this sort of thing and didn't have that together. Now, I think finance is 
generally one of the things that uh, a lot of business owners are weakest at. We get into pet sitting because it's something we're really passionate about. Um, it's something that we love doing. But the finance side, the business side can sometimes uh, it fall by fall by the wayside. <laughs> so that's for sure. I understand. <laughs> I deal with pet sitters all the time. I went to uh, 17 annual PSI conferences and we're always talking about that. So, so on that, what what are some things that every pet care business owner could do to get better at understanding their finances? You know, I think no matter how good your bookkeeper or accountant is, and how they make life less stressful for you by just handing them everything and having them do it, you need to understand accounting yourself. Because if you don't understand accounting, you won't know how to keep up with your expenses and your revenue and really understand where you've been and where you're going. So uh, I think that's a big deal. Um, For 15 years, back in 2004, I got involved with a pet sitting software called PetTrax that I really liked because they had an accounting software incorporated into it. And I was able to customize it, and I used it for 15 years. Then all of a sudden, this past November, it got corrupted. The report section got corrupted, so I no longer can hit a few keys and pull up reports. So I've since gone to uh, QuickBooks, and I really like QuickBooks. It gives me a lot of more things than I had before. So I think there's so many... Uh, accounting softwares out there that you can easily use that sync with current pet sitting softwares. And some of the pet sitting softwares, like your sponsor, I think even has an accounting as part of it. So it's it makes all the difference in the world. And then understanding finance. So you know how to keep your credit good or make it better and how you can use credit. Um, there were times when our cash flow wasn't really good, and I was able to figure out ways on how to charge things with one credit card, but no, it wasn't going to be due for almost 60 days later, and then I would have the money to pay it off and not paying interest. And then I would be able to figure out their formula for how many days they gave me to do it and things like that. So knowing that type of stuff will really help your cash flow and help you get better credit. When you get better credit, there's less cost for credit. There's less cost for a lot of things, cars and houses and everything else. So it made a really big deal. I think it's really important that pet sitters know what their overhead expenses are, that they don't just think about their gas that they use to drive to do their pet sitting, that they really understand that in transportation costs, the government allows you 57 and a half cents a mile because that's what it really costs. <laughs> when you figure in maintenance of the car or truck, you figure in depreciation of it, you figure in repair, replacing tires, batteries, and so on, insurance and taxes and everything else, it really costs that. And I don't think enough of them think about it. They think about only the cost of the gas. So I think you need to keep track of that really close 
but you also need to understand what your other expenses are, like your phone and your pet sitting software, maybe your accounting software, any and any other your advertising marketing expenses. You know all your expenses. Know what your overhead expenses are. I think it's really a good idea to know what the percentage of your transportation costs is as of what you charge for pet sitting. So if you you have a round trip pet sitting, you know, that's 10 miles round trip, you know, it's costing you $5.75 really in transportation costs that you understand that. And then you understand what the insurance cost is built in and all your other overhead costs are built in with it. And I think it's just really important. And I, I really suggest that you know your numbers too. Know how who your top clients are. Like for us, um, we had last year our top 10 clients did 50% of our business. And we had the other 86 clients, so did less, did the other 50%. Wow. And I know of other places where uh, pet sitters, where 20% of clients do 80% of the business. You need to know that and know who those clients are. And you need to know what the cost is of retaining those clients and recruiting them, acquisition. So I know stats are and accounting and all that might be a pain in the butt. It may not be exciting. It might be boring, but it's the thing that allow you to do the thing you love with pets and be your own boss at the same time. Yeah. And if all you view finances and the numbers is, if, if your view of that is once a year or a couple times a year, you drop off some paperwork at an accountant and you leave, you don't get that fine-tuned decision-making that, that you do when you really know and understand them. When you're able to calculate some of those things and see who that 20% of your clients are who are driving the 80% of your business or what, right. the, what the actual costs are, if you're just dropping something off and walking away, those powerful decisions are being left with that person. And you are not, you know, you don't, you don't know where to go. And you'd be surprised how many people in our industry do that. <laughs> and then what if the accountant doesn't do a good job for you? Or what if it takes them forever to do it? Or what if they're not in business the next year and you have no clue on what to do? And you're not managing your business. You don't know what's going on if you don't understand this. And you can help your accountant do better for you, too, if you do. Yeah, you're able to communicate to them exactly how your business operates, what you're thinking with the numbers, and check and have you know a comparison to have of this is how I ran them. What did it look like when you did? Maybe where some of the discrepancies are. And be able to really dig deep and use them as a partner in that process instead of just somebody who does your books. Oh yeah. It makes all the difference in the world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you, and by doing this, you can forecast things down the road where if you don't, you're not going to be able to forecast as good. And if you wanted to change things, if you wanted to do more cat care or, or you wanted to do more dog walking that, and you wanted to make more money while doing that, if you don't know what your profit margins are, then then you're not going to be able to 
forecast that very well and achieve those goals. We'll talk about that for a little bit more of, of when you say forecasting, what, what does that mean? And what, how do business owners leverage that? I don't, I mean, I still do all that. Because of the pandemic, we're not nearly as busy as we have been in previous years. I, I divided up our clients in the three groups for us because our area has has a big has a state university, has an air force base nearby, and then we have all our townspeople, which includes agriculture as well. And all and there's there's about a half a dozen uh, manufacturing factories in our town as well. So I divide up our clients by category, whether they're associated with the university, the base, or their townspeople. And early on, I found out I was having a lot more university and and a lot more base people and less townspeople, but I wasn't getting good retention because the university people would move, not just the students, but the faculty and staff. And eventually, they move all the Air Force people around, too. So I made the decision I wanted to get more townspeople and less Air Force in the university. And it wasn't that many years ago I had about, it was even about a third, a third, a third. And now 62% of my uh, client base is townspeople. Only 14% is university and 24% the base. So that's much better. We don't have nearly, we don't lose as many clients that way. So that's an example of forecasting and using the stats and the things as well. And I also used to um, forecast by the number of pet sits I would have. We book going into the month and in certain months, I know I would get at least 50% more in some of the busier months like May or June or July, I might double it or more than double it. So if I had 100 pets that's pre-booked, then maybe June or July, I might end up with over 200 pets. So that's just some of the things. And I would know when the expenses occurred associated with that. So that's kind of some of the ways I use the forecasting. Yeah. And, and you know, looking at the um, that turnover cost of clients of, you know, you mentioned earlier of like the cost of acquisition, the cost of doing the meet and greets, the cost of doing all of that and looking, going, okay, I need, I need more stability, more predictability here. I, I don't right. want that high turnover because that costs me money. So how can I, how can I do that? And where, where is that stability? Yeah. And you can find out, you can kind of, you can set your marketing to where you're trying to appeal to more ideal clients. And you can do things like when you get a bunch of clients call you from the Air Force Base last minute, less than a week's notice, and want you to do them real short notice for their dogs over a weekend or a holiday or something, you might decline them because you know they're going to be a one-time deal. Or you're not wanting as many Air Force people. And conversely, that gives you the time to take on some more town, new townspeople and serve them better. So that's how you can do that. And you can figure, you know, what that actually costs you to market that way. Yeah, because as you mentioned, it's not just the gas to get there. It's the cost of getting them. And, and again, really understanding where your costs are what you're expending money on allows you to make those kind of really powerful 
um, trajectory changing kinds of decisions for your business? Yeah. Um, we, even though our area is transient, we regularly, our retention rate from one year to the next, when you subtract out the people that have already moved away, usually is in the 70% level or higher. So, you know, when you know that, you can also figure the lifetime value of those clients as well. And it gets up there pretty quick. And it allows you to start planning and, and thinking about the future and thinking about what you can be doing down the road. Right. So that's what we've always, that's what I've been doing for many, many years. Really cool to hear because as you mentioned, you know, you just celebrated, uh, you know, you're celebrating your 23rd year of running Pampered Pet Sitting. Uh, and you, you alluded it to a little bit. You know, we talked about finances a lot, but what would you say is your secret um, or um, how you've stayed in business for that long? Well, I'm going to share with you a little philosophy I had. I developed it kind of early on in pet sitting. And what it basically was is I had my five piece for success. And I tried to dedicate ourselves to doing them. The first one, which you've already mentioned, is passion. If you're going to succeed, you really have to have passion for what you're doing. And people can tell whether you you have passion for it or whether it's just a job or just a business to you. And the second thing is that we've always tried, that we've always moved on. We've always tried to upgrade our professionalism. We've attended uh pet sitter conferences we've attended cat conferences dog shows cat shows taking webinars done all anything we can to try to improve our skills and knowledge in the area of pet care and managing a pet care business the next p uh, for success was persistence i don't know i just happen to have a personality that <laughs> I I don't quit. <laughs> uh, I used to play competitive tennis all the time. I used to drive my coaches crazy in high school and college because I almost always lost the first set in best of three sets. But I almost always came back and won it in three sets. And my coaches would say, why do you always lose that first set? And I said, I don't know. They're just better than I am then, but I refuse to lose, so I make myself better, so I beat them in the end. (laughs) So having a plan A, B, C, and D, being persistent, you know, just because it doesn't work out a couple times, don't give up. And then they eventually let you persevere. You got to keep being persistent until you persevere and achieve the things you want to achieve, the goals, your objectives. And the last he is performance. You got to do a really good job of pet care. And even just as important, you got to do a really, really good job of communicating with the pet parents because they're the ones who hire you and fire you, I guess. But I've never been told I've been fired. I guess I have been. And they didn't tell us. So <laughs> those are my five P's for success. And then later on, I added two more which is personal finances, which we've already talked about. You need good personal finances with good credit so you have the ability to sustain during tough times or until you grow and start thriving and to take advantage of opportunities. And then you have to have patience. On the average, it takes three to five years 
to start for a pets and enterprise to thrive. I guess unless you buy somebody else's or merge or partner with somebody that's already been in business a long time. So that's, we've always practiced those. We've, we've always practiced the golden rule. You re, are you familiar with the golden rule? Do unto others? As you want others to do unto you. We've not tried to uh, skimp by on anything. We regularly have gone over and beyond lots of times. And, and it's appreciated, I think. You know, we have 50 clients, we have an active client base around 130 right now. Years ago, we peaked at about 235. And then on purpose started to try to shrink. We still have 52 clients that have been with us 10 years or longer. We have 30 clients that have been with us 15 years or longer, and we have 10 clients that have been with us 20 years or longer. Wow. So I think wow. we've been doing something right. And by practicing those P's for success and practicing the golden rule with clients, um, we respect all the other pet pros where we have an active membership with PSI. We've attended their conferences. And as I've mentioned before, we, we regularly take webinars or go to cat shows, dog shows, do all kinds of things like that. And I think we've been active in the community, been a member of the Chamber of Commerce for uh, 15 years and been active in it. So I think it shows. Yeah, I mean, when you have that many clients around for 15 years or more, that really does show that those those five and now seven pieces to success are really being implemented. And, and I, I really appreciate the last one of, of patience because that one's really hard. I know I struggle with being <laughs> it <is>. extremely hard. <laughs> <laughs> of, it's probably uh, the hardest one, I think. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I would agree because <laughs> I, you feel like, oh, I'm showing up. I showed up today and I did, I did all the other I did all the other P's. I got all those done. And now I've got to do that again and again and again and wait for that to take hold and wait for that fruit to take hold. Yeah. And one of the things pet sitters don't always understand, or anybody for that matter, when you're marketing a service, just using marketing, for example, when you're marketing a service, it normally takes at least three months and usually six months to a year to get the benefit from that marketing in our industry because people don't travel all the time, you know, and you don't always have somebody doing dog walking all the time. So that's a hard thing to get. Right. Of oh, I, I paid for the ad. Now, where are all the people that need my services right now? Yeah. No, <laughs> well, it's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> are you, when you pay for that ad, are you are you boost the post on Facebook, which I do a lot of, by the way. I haven't done any since February because of the pandemic. All you really want to do is get engagement and awareness of your business. You want people to be aware of you. They say some marketing experts say it takes five, six, seven times of somebody seeing or hearing about you before they'll take action. So I, you know, I mean, obviously somebody that somebody really admires is close to refers them to you. It won't take that long, but it can if they've never heard of you before. 
Right, because people, it takes that time for them to get to know you and understand what you're about. Or as you mentioned, you know, people don't travel all the time. So it may take a year before they need a pet sitter. They may need a dog walker or somebody. And so investing now and then you're, the payoff will be a year from maybe a year from now or when the next, when, whenever the next time that person actually needs that service. Exactly. So you just don't know if you can include the patients in there too. You know, if you're doing the other six really, really well, if you're a little bit patient, it'll pay off. And that's the hardest one, of course. So, <laughs> of course. <Yeah. laughs> now, 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 in your 23 years of business, um, I wanted to know if you've ever struggled and dealt with burnout or passion fatigue. You know, very little, rarely. But believe it or not, the times when I've had the most problems have been during the times when we would um, be preparing to go to the PSI conference wherever it would happen to be. And because what we usually did quite often, we found out it was a neat way to get away to go to the conference and learn a lot and socialize with the other pet sitters and PSI staff. It was also a good way to get away for a vacation. So we would combine the two. And in 2001, that was the first year we did that. When it was in San Diego, the conference, and then we spent an additional week uh, a little bit south of San Diego for a vacation. And we would, we would actually root for it to be in certain cities so we could vacation nearby. <laughs> so, but because of being gone for so long, sometimes it'd be two to three weeks I would get so stressed out and just about burned out and not want to hear from anybody about anything. <laughs> That's when I would come close to burnout. <laughs> I remember a couple of times I had to call even my pet surgeon say, I'm going crazy. I'm going to need your help. <laughs> so, but I've been able to recognize the signs and cut back and I know how to say no. Was that something that you had to learn going into the business, or did you feel like you were pretty well equipped with with saying no? No, I had to learn that going into the business because the first five years, um, we both worked full time, and we didn't have a lot of time to, you know, to do the pet thing like lots of other people do, and we weren't really sure the business was going to make. You realize we were still one of the new people with pets, and we were the first professional petsers in Warrensburg at the time. So we did a, it was hard to say no because you wanted to make sure the business made it. But then after a while, you learn by saying no sometimes, you actually get better yeses. It's hard to believe, but it's the truth. I found out it's not directly related, but if you raise your prices, the higher you raise your prices, the better clients you get. But that's why it's a way to say no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's saying no doesn't have to always be just a, a verbal no. It can be no. marketing a different way so that just the way that's being marketed, you're saying no to other people. It could be in the prices. It could be in certain policies that you have in place, all that kind of stuff too. So it, it is it is a, a, a much more encompassing than just saying no to somebody over the phone. Yeah, the big thing is recognizing your signs, and a lot of times somebody it might be your wife, it might be another pet, there might be 
somebody else you know, a friend, might could see your irritability and could tell something's wrong. And they might mention it, you know, and you say, oh, my God, I'm going to be getting burned out here shortly. Or <laughs> in Christmas time, Christmas time comes around and you end up getting overbooked, not because you necessarily overbooked, but one of your clients have been with you forever suddenly has an emergency. And they have to pick up and leave. And you can't say, no, we can't take care of your home and your pets so you can go take care of your emergency. No, you go ahead and take care of the emergency and then you come close to burnout. (laughs) Have you heard about Time to Pet? Susan from The Pet Gal has this to say. Time to Pet has helped us grow exponentially. We believe the platform's features make us by far more professional than other companies who use conventional dashboards. They are the software gurus constantly developing and improving the platform based on user feedback. This decision was a good one. If you are looking for new pet sitting software for your business, give Time to Pet a try. As a listener of Pet Sitter Confessional, you'll get 50% off your first three months when you sign up at timetopet.com slash confessional. You, know, you were the, the first um, you know, professional pet sitter in the Warrensburg area. What's it like been servicing the same area for 23 years? Well, it's, it's fine. We enjoy it. You know, we've lived in, we've lived in Warrensburg for 42 years. Yeah. And so we knew the area real well before we even started. And then we were known in the area before we got started, too. So it's been fine. It's, um, you know, we learned right away that the base, the university and the town were very transient. And we knew that we had to get a bigger portion of our client base needed to be in town. So we wouldn't be working as hard with so much turnover. But we also knew that it was important to... um, it's been important to stay active in the community. I served on the park board the first two years of our pet sitting enterprise. We've been active in pet rescues, cat rescues, cat clubs, been active in the chamber and just stayed active in the community. And all and we've built up relationships. I heavily believe pet sitting is a relationship business, not with your just your clients but also with prospects, the general public, but even more important with the, your fellow pet pros. The vet, the vet staff are more important than the vets, by the way. <laughs> and the groomers and even people who operate pet shops. And that. we've always showed our appreciation to them. And we've always gotten to know them on a personal basis. So... For us, it's been good because we're used to the small town atmosphere. Getting to know people, being known, accepting that you are part of the community, and then leaning into that and knowing uh, to build those relationships, uh, to to get connected with them and just just know them on that personal level really uh, sounds like it, it really is a game changer. It has. What was really interesting is is we've even had some of the veterinarians use us. And obviously they could board their pets or they could have their you know, their vet techs come do it for them. 
that they've used us because they were so impressed. And so you, you got to be able, willing to do that. You talk about investments in your business, and this is one of those of getting connected with people, um, knowing them, and and accepting those kind of requests when they come in because you know that that's um, that's going to keep that relationship moving forward. I'll tell you one real quick story. It tails in there with something else we'll talk about maybe later. But uh, things were in '02. Because of the trade towers, things were starting to slow down a little bit. The state government was having to cut back. So university professors weren't traveling as much. So I started to see that. And just I was going into our normal veterinarian and just kind of talking to him and asking about food and other things all the time. And there was a lady there who was kind of new. And she said, I hear you're a pet sitter and you take care of dogs. I said, yes. She says, you take care of goldfish. I said, yes. So, well, why should I trust you? And I said to her, I said, you don't have to trust me. I'm going to show you why you should trust me. So what I did was I told her, you know what? You live here in town. Let me meet you at your house for lunch one day. And let me take your golden retrievers out while you stay at your house. I'll walk them. I'll bring them back. I'll play with them in the backyard. And then you come, I'll bring them back in the house. And I did that. And guess what? She referred hundreds of people to us after that over the years. And she became a client, by the way. And she still is. Yeah, that that gets back to that um, that last one, that last P of patience. Of sometimes we expect people to trust us right from the get go because we're a professional, right? We've been in business for a while and we know we're trustworthy. So why don't you trust us? But it takes a little bit of patience, a little piece of showing why they should trust us before they can trust us, and understanding that 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 is a process. And once you do that, that's going to benefit you for a long, long time. Really, I, I totally agree because you know what? People are letting us into their homes when they're not there usually. So there has to be a lot of trust and taking care of their prized possession, their pets. Now, um, also in these 23 years, you've been working alongside your wife. So I wanted to know what that's been like uh, and how you make that work and how you work together. My wife still works full time at the same job she had back then. Though she's looking at retiring from that job, hopefully before the end of this year. That's our plan anyway. She initially, with us both working full time, we would both try to help out, you know, when we could and on weekends and, you know, holidays and things like that. And we got along pretty good doing that. And then after a while, it kind of became my business (laughs) because after five years, I became full-time with this. Mm-hmm. I left my employer. She recognized it as my business. And then after, since that point in time, the last 15 years or so, she's mainly helped during holiday periods and on weekends. And we usually get along pretty well with it. I definitely can tell we do things differently. And we definitely communicate with our clients differently. She's fine with that. So we're still married. <laughs> there, there you go. There's the proof. <laughs> I think if we, I'm, I'm a little, she's a little bit worried and I'm a little bit worried. What happens after she retires and she wants to participate a lot? Will we still get along? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, after after all those years of, of of trust and working together, you know, I I I think I think the I think you'll get I think you'll work it out, right? <laughs> well, I, I'm pretty sure we'll work it out. I'm not worried about it. But yeah, that's that that's nice being able to have somebody uh, alongside you that you that you know you you trust implicitly in what they do, even though they may do it slightly differently than what you what the way you do it. Um, but that just makes a really powerful um, uh, team when you're able to work together like that. Yeah, and she always went with me to the PSI conferences, and we registered. We got you know two registrations, so she went to all the different uh, educational sessions and workshops and all the social events together. So we were known as a team. Matter of fact, my the pet sitters have been at those conferences. Know Jill better than they know me. <laughs> oh. Because she's more adaptive partying with them than I am. <laughs> I'm an old fogey, I guess. <laughs> well, just uh, different strengths and weaknesses that you each are able to, to bring to it. Yeah. <laughs> Opposites attract. There, there you go. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier about after the towers fell and you had a, a slowdown. Um, in, in the time that you've been in business, you've, you've weathered many uh, economic downturns and crises. How have you navigated those? In 02, 03, because it took a while for that to happen. Basically, it took a while before we noticed anything, and we were still more most of the time working part-time until 02. In 02, in the middle of 02, the agency I was working for merged with a bunch of other agencies and they offered me a really attractive deal to leave, and I grabbed it. And at that time, we could probably need to go full-time pet sitting, but we got really worried. So what happened was I ran into somebody who knew one of my clients who <clears throat> worked with FedEx, and he, he asked me if I would want to drive part-time during the busy season, which was the spring in summer. And I said, yeah. So I had to go get a commercial license and I had to pass a FedEx driving test. I drove FedEx band all over Warrensburg, even down near you in the, the Sedalia area, you know, Green Ridge, you know, all the little towns. And uh, so, and I didn't earn really that much, but it made Jill feel better about it. And we knew we had that money coming in. But what was really nice was I learned GPS then because GPS was was early on then. It wasn't prevalent like now. He he was fine with me telling people about my business. I would carry business cards around with me. And, and if the people I was delivering to had pets, sometimes I would talk about their pets and they asked me for my business cards. And some of them did become clients down the road. So that worked out really well. And then by fall of 2003, I really didn't need to drive there anymore. And I just went totally full time. But I did that. In 07, 08, when the financial crisis hit, it didn't really affect us until probably 09 to 10. And then 010, I just noticed since going down dramatically. And at the 2011 uh, conference, PSI conference, which was in New Orleans, but they had it in the winter in February, the lady was talking about how important it was to do social media, how important it was to have a smartphone, 
all the things I didn't have. <laughs> so I determined, you know, I'm going to swallow my pride and I'm going to do that. So believe it or not, Colin, I first ordered my first smartphone uh, when I got back from the conference late in 2011 and got it in early March. Then I went up to the university here at the time. I don't know if it was a state agency, but they had their offices at Central Small Business Development Center and asked for help. And I can talk to anybody. So, and of course, I've had clients at the university. So I, they, I found a person. He set me up with a, an MBA student. And she was going to graduate soon. And she showed me literally how to use my cell phone, <laughs> how to use my smartphone. And then she uh, she helped get me on Facebook and all and LinkedIn and some of the other things. And she helped me learn how to do posts and do social media. And then eventually she was of help to help me find a company to help get our first website. I went 14 years without a website. And then I ended up using Furry Friends and she helped us with getting a custom logo developed. She helped me pick out colors and all that kind of stuff. You know what? I continued them for the next four years. They would get me a new student, usually almost every semester or sometimes only once a year. They were senior marketing students or they they were MBA students. And they were sharp. And they were techies, and I wasn't. I learned a lot from them, and we learned how to do online newsletters. I learned a lot of marketing things, and from that, I did really well. You know, it wasn't that long after things just started picking up dramatically. So, and then for this pandemic here, I, um, you know, when it hit, we just stayed in touch with our clients. We've already we're close to retirement anyhow, so we already have our funds and everything in order. But I developed three scenarios, depending on how the pandemic goes, and that's how I would use our expenses and everything. And I used the time to uh, redo our website a bit, both of them. I used the time to do a lot more social media, a lot more newsletters, and. And things, and we've actually done pretty well. We've had fifty-two clients use us this year, and so and forty of them have used us since the pandemic hit. So we haven't done that bad. We're not as good, <laughs> but I lowered my expectations where I didn't know if I would hit half the revenue I had last year. So I set my budget based on our profits being less than half of last year, and as long as the virus doesn't get worse, I think we'll do better than that. And we're fine with it that way. So that's how we've done. But I would tell you that those students were a huge help. I mean, what I'm hearing in that is it's, it's a, you know, kind of at the end there of, of really the, allow, the ability to know your numbers has allowed you to plan and adjust accordingly. And on top of that, you know, through, through 02, 03, and then to 09 of adapting and seeking out those help and those resources early and taking advantage of what you can to put you on a, a good track forward of what, what, are, what, you know, okay, I'm not doing this. How do I learn that? Um, you know, okay, things are not working oh, out right yeah, now. Really? What, what kind of, you know, what kind of things can I be doing on the side while I work on my business and work on marketing that and getting all those things brought into, brought into place there. So that word, you know, adapting and persist, you know, 
per- perseverance uh, is one of your P's there of, of bringing that in uh, to push through those times and seek out the help when you need it. Exactly. In Warrensburg and the surrounding area, as you mentioned earlier, it's it's a little bit a mix of a of a college town and a lot of rural areas in the surrounding time. Many many pet sitters may think that they can't be profitable or or not have a successful business unless they're in a large metropolitan area. What advice would you give to pet sitters in more more rural or small town setting? Well, number one thing is pet sitting in small towns even more important than metro areas. Relationship building. It's number one and always will be number one in small towns, I think. You, you got to get known. They got to get to know you. You got to engage. They need to engage with you. Um, the number really important thing to make it uh, business-wise is you need to understand because you normally have a bigger service area. You know, if you're going into the little towns, like I know you're in – where you're at, there's a bunch of little towns nearby to you all. And if you were going to go service them, you got to figure that mileage into your costs. And you got to figure that into your prices. But not only that, you got to figure in the longer amount of time you're going to spend driving to and from those places than you would in your normal in town radius. So you got to incorporate that into your prices and still be competitive enough to get the business. But what I found is people will be willing to pay it if you offer a terrific service. Mm. So, but you not only have to figure your transportation costs and your time traveling, but you also have to figure in, like we talked about, all your overhead expenses as well. So make sure your prices are good. So it make it worth your while and also figure out where it's not worth your while. <laughs> no, I mean, really, I mean, to give an example, when we first started, you're probably familiar with this. There's a little town called Nabnaster. It's 10 miles from us. That may not sound like a big deal, but 20 mile difference in driving back and forth Two times a day or three times a day, that's 50, you know, 60 miles three times a day. Well, that's over $30 in long-term transportation costs. Well, it's, it's kind of hard to charge enough to recoup that, you know, and all your other expenses. So we figured out, even though we started out doing Nomnash ourselves, that it'd be really good to get somebody there in Nomnash to help us out. Because Nomnash is the little town next to Whiteman Air Force Base, where there are a lot of military people and civilians there. And as I told you before, they're one-fourth of our client base even now. And we're bigger years ago. So... We were, we've been fortunate to get somebody to help us with that. So I, that's one of my suggestions is to do that and to make sure that they're, um, that you don't make your service area too big. Because I'll tell you this, if you say you're willing to go to Nobnoster, which is 10 miles away, you'll get somebody 10 miles north of Nobnoster who thinks they're in Nobnoster. So they want you to go 20 miles. <laughs> it happens all the time. 
And so you have to say, well, my address is not Noster. It just happens to be Northwest 950 Road, which is 9.5 miles north of Knob, but it's still not Noster. No. <laughs> You're 20 miles from us, lady. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It gets to, you know, I love that of, of building those relationships. So if you're in a, if you're in a smaller area or have a more rural market, really leaning into and building those relationships, being visible, um, meeting people, staying in touch with people. And then that second part of know your numbers of what is profitable for you and what isn't and make those, yeah. hard, make those hard lines, make those hard decisions of, Sure, that client that needs you is twenty miles away, and they're they're paying you, yes, and you feel like you're making money. But at the end of the day, it's really hard, as you said, to recoup that over the long haul. And that's where that mindset, that kind of viewpoint, needs to be. Of you know, okay, you're going to drive that twenty miles. Are you going to do that once? Okay, are you going to do that three times, four times? What's the cutoff point? What's you know, right. what is, make it worth your time? No, and not only that. Have that relationship with other pet pros. Who are the people who board in the area? You know, who else could they use instead of you? So when I say no to somebody, I almost always get, try to give them a referral to someplace else they can serve them. I'm not afraid of losing the business because we get that back. Yeah, that's what that relationship is of, of okay, this doesn't work for me. And good customer service means I need to tell you where else to go or who can be of good service to you. And then when the, whoever you refer to them, you know, down the line, they're going to have something that doesn't work for them and they're going to refer them back to you. And there comes again, that patience of knowing that this is going to, this is going to come back and this is going to be beneficial. The other thing is if you do get some pesters to cover that area, make sure you do a really good job of screening them. Because they represent you. And it only takes a few minutes and one bad client to ruin a, a good reputation you built over many years. I have one lady who covers non-nostril for us now. At one time we had two. They overlapped. And I knew the other lady was leave, was going to be leaving. You know, her husband had gotten orders, so I went and got somebody else. And I know I have another lady here who helps me with the rural area and overflow here in Warrensburg. And believe it or not, (laughs) all I did was I went to my clients and said, you know what, we're expanding too fast. We can't keep up. If you know anybody who might be good at doing what we do, let me know. So why didn't you know it? One of my clients in Morrisburg's daughter had just moved to Nostra, and she was nuts about pets. She was also a teacher, and she had, and so I, I got a hold of her, and I tried her out, and she was awesome, and she's still with us 14 years later. And the other lady, she started out as a client in 97, one of our first ones. And we had to go to our pet sitting conference in 02, and we couldn't get anybody else to the cover to take care of our cats and birds. So I asked her if she might want to, you know, cover some clients and take care of our, our us. She did, and now she's still with us 18 years later. So I guess I've been kind of lucky. 
Yeah. Well, but that's leaning into those relationships and the community that you've built and you have around you. You can ask your own clients or business people, whoever, and say, hey, I'm looking for some help and not have to go the normal hiring route, you know? Yeah, because you already have a relationship with them. They know how you operate, obviously, because they've hired you before. And uh, if they have an interest, you know, that, that can definitely be a route that you can take. Because you you know them as well. You recently made the switch to providing almost exclusively cat care. What what was that decision like, and what was that decision process for you? Um, about five years, <laughs> about five years ago, I saw that we were starting. We are cat people ourselves. We have five cats in our own home. We've had six or seven at a couple times, and my wife is a president of a Kansas City Area Cat Club, and she's been with them for, I think, 25 years or no. And we've always done cat shows. And so, you know, with cat rescues, we're cat people. So I started thinking about, you know, getting up there in age, and it was harder to take care of some of these dogs. I was getting aches and pains, and we couldn't always refer them to other pets. And Maybe we should think about trying to get more cat care. So um, that's what happened. And then about a year later, we formulated that as our um, exit strategy, the semi-retirement, where we would cut back on our pet sitting operation and have others do mostly the dogs and other pets, and we would just do the cats mostly. And we've been gradually working it that way for the last four years and we even started um a separate brand i don't know if you know about this or not or seen this website we decided to start a separate uh, brand called cats at home petsing got the domain name started a separate website and the whole bit what we did we mainly did that mainly because we were at a social gathering <laughs> and some of us Kansas City area petters at Herbert were doing more cat sitting. They wanted to do more. And then we decided, hey, maybe we could get together all under uh, kind of an umbrella and do this together. And I can refer business up to them in the Kansas City area. So that's what we started Cats at Home Pet Sitting, kind of almost the fall of 2016, but we didn't really get many pet sitting clients until 2017 in the Kansas City area. And then we promote cats at home pet sitting down here in the Warrensburg area, now after the rural areas and that. And believe it or not, the cats at home pet sitting has helped us get a lot more cat clients. Our part of 175 out of our 130 uh, client base are strictly cats only clients. So we've really gotten getting there and one of the main reasons for doing that. Also, cat sitting is a whole lot less demanding physically. <laughs> so that works. It's a whole lot easier to schedule. And if you've done it, you probably know that. And we found it to be a whole lot less competitive and a whole lot more profitable. So that's the reason we've gone um, to the going towards mostly cat sitting. Yeah, and I think that may sound counterintuitive to many dog walkers or people who focus mostly on dogs because they may say, oh, well, I provide cat services, but it's as a, a sideline or it's not the primary focus. 
So to hear, so to hear that it's more profitable may may strike some as as being, you know, counterintuitive to what they are normally thinking. So, well, think about it. For most cats, and not all, but for most cats, and you only have to go in once a day. Sometimes you go back. People want more feeding, or they have medicine, or shots, or things. So therefore, the cost doesn't add up as much. So you can charge a bit more and not worry about whether you're not being competitive and where you're losing business. So that's all. So also, um, I don't know. It just it's less com- competitive, and it's and you're able to. You don't have to drive as far. It seems like for us, at any rate, for a lot of our cats, and so our costs are lower as well. Yeah, again, getting back to that, knowing your numbers, knowing that, okay, what are my costs? And you mentioned like, yeah, go over once, maybe twice a day versus the three drop-ins or these large spread out areas, being able to concentrate them so your service area is smaller, you're not going over as much. So you just inherently have more profit per visit. You're right. And And the scheduling part makes it easier too. You can have... During the Christmas area, we once did 15 cat families. <laughs> it was crazy <laughs> from early morning to night. But we could do them at almost any time we wanted to, you know, and set up routes where we went from one to one to one to one, and we didn't drive that far. And on top of that, as you also mentioned, that the competition just is not really there no, no it's not not in our area you know in the big metro areas there are people who are cats only businesses mm-hmm. you know but not in our area and there's not we're near the kind and there still isn't nationwide you don't hear of too many people with rover or wags or those type of places who push cats in so no so it makes it a, a good good service to either if you if you don't have it yet to add it and if you aren't focusing on it maybe a good time to th- re re reassess that and see whether that's something right. that you actually would be really profitable for you yeah the one thing to remember though is they have a tendency to be pretty eccentric so be prepared for that yeah. yeah, knowing that you need, but because they're eccentric, they're the more demanding that you really have expertise in the area. You can't be a dog walker who suddenly wants to do cats and don't know cats mm. and succeed real well. Meeting that customer demand and their expectations really is knowing that they they are going to demand some certain certain things and they're going to know what they want and they're going to be looking for that. So getting those skills and, and then being able to communicate to them that you have that is that is that next step. And then what's really neat, one of the best marketing things I've done in the last two years is I set up a, a cat lovers group here in Warrensburg on Facebook. It's called Cat Lovers of Warrensburg Non-Noster. And we have almost 200 members. And we put a little bit of it information on there about pet care but we're mainly just about engaging with each other about our own cats or other people's cats we're always sharing cats and we're always getting new members all the time and of that group you know since in the last few months i've picked up three new clients so and i'm the only admin for the group so i control it so that's one way to the market to the cat people 
because you, you're targeting a specific people who love cats. Leaning into that and really, again, really understanding who that client is and then speaking cat to them, basically. <laughs> right. You've mentioned that uh, th- throughout our conversation here that, um, you know, and especially with this transition into cats, that you've got your eye on retirement and semi-retirement. What does that look like for you as you transition <laughs> out, out of this business? <laughs> no. <laughs> We're meeting with our financial person next week. Uh, he, he usually does a better job of explaining it to her than I do. <laughs> oh. um, for me, my idea is semi-retirement will be mostly doing mostly just cat sitting and having and continuing the business um, for most of our regular clients and taking on some new non-cat sitting clients that our other pet sitters can do. I hurt my shoulders really bad last year, both of them. It took six months of physical therapy to get over it. And this year, unfortunately, my knees are starting to ache as well as my back. And I'm doing physical therapy on my own. But they seem to ache more after I deal with big dogs or medium-sized dogs. <laughs> so my semi-retirement is going to probably include most of the cats. And I'm also going to probably dabble in doing more direct involvement with our Retirement funds and also with our investments. I've been taking some classes in investing beyond what I already know, so I can do some of my own investing too afterwards. So that's why I think it's going to include. I ain't giving you a specific date though. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't looking for that. No, I was just just curious after after all well, these years. I have clients who say. Are you going to keep up with us? Are you still going to be here with us? You know, especially ones who've been 15, 20 years. Yeah. yeah, we'll be here. Our page will be here. Don't worry. We'll be here yeah. as long as we're healthy. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, yeah. And in that too, like, yeah. How, how are you t- communicating that to your clients? Do you have ones that are reaching out to you? Are you actively talking about the, the road forward? You know, what the future looks like? No, only the ones who know us really well. And some of the clients that have been with a long time knew us for many years before we even started. You know, they kind of want to know more than just the normal client does. So sure. they'll say, well, when you, how much longer do I do it? One of my clients who's in our actually our neighborhood says, when are you finally going to retire? <laughs> I said, well, you stop loving your pets. <laughs> 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 so I said, I don't know. I'll be cutting back. I've been gradual, and we've been cutting back. As I said, in 2015, we had over 200 clients. Our client base was over 200. I think about 220. Now we're down to 130. So we're gradually cutting that back too. That, that's what I see semi-retirement looking like. Probably next year is my guess. Julie's her business by the end of this year. I think it'll be next year. Well, sounds like you still have lots of exciting things ahead and lots of uh, lots of experience to share. This has been really, really wonderful. I have thoroughly enjoyed our our conversation here, um, and I know that we've spanned a lot of topics, and there's still so much to cover, Jay. So, if people want to get in touch, pick your brain a little bit more, uh, and just hear more about your story, um, how best can they do that? 
Well, they can do it a couple different ways. As long as they identify themselves as a pet sitter, I don't know about you, but both on our business line and our personal line, we get a lot of spam phone calls. So they can call our business landline, Pamper Pets thing, 660-747-3554. Voicemail picks up on the fifth ring. Just have them identify that they're a pet sitter, that they heard this podcast. However. They can also go to our website, warrensburgpetsitting.com. There's um, on the header, there's the email and phone number listed up top. And I believe they're on the footer as well. Or I guess they can even go to uh, catsathomepetsitting.com. And the information is listed on there as well on the header and footer. And there's a contact form, I think, at the bottom of the homepage. Or if they want, I'm really active on Facebook. They could go to my personal page. Or they can go to our business one, Pampered Pet Sitting. I already guess cats at home on the message us. But again, let me know that you're a pet sitter. So we'll be happy to get back in touch with you. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'll include links to those in the show notes and on our blog post too when the episode goes out so people can just click click right there and get in touch. Jay, again, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come and talk to us about your years in pet sitting and what you've learned. And those 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 I just love those those seven Ps to success. And, and I hope that we can all learn to follow those and, and just be a little bit more patient in business and in our personal lives. So it's been a real pleasure, Jay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great evening. When you think about your future in the industry, what do you see? How do you plan to be here year after year? Where do you see yourself in a couple decades? Those are all great questions to start asking ourselves right now so that we can start laying those really strong foundations, not just for our business, but for our personal lives too making sure that we're organized, that the business is organized, that we know those numbers, and we stick to those seven Ps that Jay talked about. We'd love to hear how you plan to persevere and to stay in the business. You can send an email to feedback at petsitterconfessional.com, check us out on social media, and just let us know how you plan to do that. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Time to Pet, for making this week's show possible. We'll be back again soon 